You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you once again from Santa Barbara, California, trapped uh, still in the pandemic. Although, you know, some things have opened up, but, you know, it's just not the same. I'm seriously looking forward to a culture without masks again. You know, people being able to, you know, actually be inside of a restaurant, things like that. The good old days, right? The the things that we took for granted. And now I'm a little worried about football season. For me personally and emotionally, that might be the coup de gras if that gets canceled. So I'm just warning you ahead of time, I may completely lose it uh, if the NFL season is canceled. Anyway, uh, before we begin uh, the contents of today's show, I need to remind you that there is something called wealthformula.com. That is a website at which this podcast lives and where there are lots of resources for you to download. And in addition to that, there is an opportunity for accredited investors to sign up for what we call Investor Club. Investor Club is uh, the place where the magic happens. You learn the concepts here. If you want to put them into action, you join Investor Club. Now, of course, there is a limitation to that, which is you have to be accredited. Accredited uh, investor uh, definition is uh, is a definition. It's not something you apply for. It sounds like it, right? You're officially accredited. No, 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 not at all. Uh, you either are or you aren't. You make $200,000 per year, $300,000 filing jointly for two years in a row uh, with reasonable expectation of continuing to do so, or you have a net worth of $1 million outside of your personal residence. If that's you, make sure to sign up for Investor Club. We are probably going to start getting some things uh, going in the next uh, few weeks. We're starting to see some opportunities, you know, not the the kinds of stuff that you might have expected, uh, which we'll get into uh, later on in this show, but uh, certainly, uh, certainly good opportunities out there still. Uh, there's just not a whole lot of distress as we thought there might be at this point. Anyway, as far as uh, that goes, you know, we had uh, Robert Kiyosaki's real estate advisor, Ken McElroy, on the show last week. Of course, Ken is a guy I respect a lot, um, and he was kind enough to give us his perspective. Uh, he's a real estate syndicator himself, uh, and he was telling us what he thought. And, you know, much of what he says was in line with kind of my initial uh, concerns about, you know, this sort of long-term, uh, you know, defaults and that sort of thing that could begin happening um, you know, and so Ken's perspective on the state of apartment uh, investing in the market was pretty bleak. And again, while there's no doubt, I respect Ken's views. I also think it's important to get the perspective of others to begin formulating your own opinions and ultimately what you're going to do in the next, you know, several weeks, months, and even, you know, a year or two. You know, the thing to remember again is regardless of what Ken said, and regardless of what anybody says, smart people can and are wrong. No one's always right. You know, the extreme example of someone who's really smart and often wrong is a guy like Peter Schiff. You know, you know, Peter, I uh, actually think he's a really smart guy. I like listening to him for, you know, his take on things. But I don't, you know, I don't take what he says uh, and just you know, automatically believe that everything's going to happen the way he does. I just think it's good to have perspectives, especially when they are sort of, you know, from a different side of uh, uh, what mainstream is saying. You know, right now, of course, he's doing an end zone dance because, uh, you know, the economy's gone south, gold picked up some traction. But you know what? He's been predicting this, this, this whole downturn for years and, you know, I hate to put it this way, but even a broken clock is accurate twice a day, right? So anyway, Ken, on the other hand, is not that kind of guy. He's not a zombie apocalypse guy. So when he says things, uh, it's not like he's only saying said that in the past. But, you know, on the other hand, he's also stopped buying um, real estate for the last three, four, five years um, and has been on the sidelines. And frankly, you know, during those years, there was money to be made, and smart people, uh, people as smart as Ken, 
uh, did exactly that. So, you know, in that regard, he has not necessarily been right throughout the time. You know, and the reality is, again, don't get me wrong, I respect the hell out of the guy. The only point I'm trying to make here is that no one person is going to be right every single time about everything. And that's why it's important uh, to get others' perspective. I mean, frankly, it's not fair to him to listen to him and, you know, accept what he says as fact because, well, he, you know, I take your own responsibility in life. So instead, let us do what any intelligent person really ought to do, which is to gather facts, listen to other people, listen to those on the ground in similar situations uh, to Ken's, and, you know, see what they have to say, you know, and some of these opinions and what they're seeing is different. Uh, and so we'll continue to do that. You know, uh, to get those kinds of perspectives, frankly, is really, really hard when you are not in this kind of business every day and you're not following the news and the trends and what's going on with your fellow colleagues and syndicators. So the, you know, the most successful operators are uh, following this stuff in real time. They don't have full-time jobs as a software engineer and who happen to be doing this as a side gig, um, you know, to retire quickly and all that stuff. So what's really happening out there, in fact, may, may surprise you. And uh, one of those guys that you ought to be listening to during this time is a guy who I uh, have a lot of respect with, and he's a, one of my partners, actually, we have a Dallas-based uh, real estate company together. His name is Dante Andrade. Dante is a broker who's um, uh, done you know, a couple billion dollars worth of transactions and is a very, very smart guy. And he's got the pulse on what's going on specifically in Dallas, you know? And, uh, you know, and that is, uh, that's why we tend to focus there uh, in our company. He is a guy who gets about as granular on the research and, uh, you know, what's happening on the ground is anybody I've ever met. Um, even like his comps are based not only on the numbers, but literally walking into apartments. Uh, and so for an asset manager, that's pretty, you know, pretending to be a tenant to find out what real, you know, rents are in the area. That's granular. Anyway, so if you're one of those many apartment investors out there trying to get informed on what's really going on, need to get some more opinions and some thoughts do not miss this conversation with Dante Andrade, which we will have after this. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast. Well, he is—he's uh, been on the show before. He is a partner of mine, actually. Um, his name is Dante Andrade, and Dante is uh, based in Dallas, Texas, and uh, he is a pretty prolific real estate broker, commercial broker, uh, dealing with multifamily apartment buildings, larger acquisitions. He's done over a billion dollars in transactions, has been in the game over there for some time. Is also uh, an owner and, you know, a lot of units. Uh, he is a uh, asset manager. And uh, most recently, uh, he and I actually have a partnership uh, that we formed called Turo, where um, we had acquired, well, we did acquire uh, a couple of large apartment buildings in Dallas over the last six months, which uh, we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, I invited Dante to come on the show because I think, you know, a lot of people are still very, very curious of what's going on in this world of multifamily. And uh, uh, you... No, we had Ken McElroy um, on the show last week, and he certainly had his, uh, you know, uh, vision of what's going on, what's going to happen. Of course, uh, Kenny's uh, his his you know his perspective is also uh, probably a little bit different uh, in that he focuses on A class uh, apartment buildings, new construction, things like that. So you know, there's different perspectives, there's different uh, views from the ground. And for that reason, I would like to uh, reintroduce you to my friend, uh, colleague, and uh, expert in the alt, uh, apartment uh, building space, uh, Dante Andrade. Dante, welcome back. 
Thank you, Bach. Well, thank you for the opportunity and for the amazing introduction. Glad to be here talking to you again and talking to your audience about multifamily. It's right? something that we're so passionate about it and we, uh, it's made us a ton of money and uh, we plan for it to continue that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's it's interesting because we live in, uh, this is the strangest, certainly the strangest period of time I've ever lived through. And uh, you know, now you and I have talked about a whole lot of, you know, crazy, crazy things that are happening, you know, to people, you know, not only in, uh, in, in finance, but in every way possible. And so things are so unpredictable right now. And I think people are looking for answers. I think answers are tough to get. Um, the future is very difficult to predict, uh, you know, um, and, and so the best thing that we can do right now is to get a lot of different perspective of what's actually unfolding before our eyes. And as a broker in multifamily and as, as a asset manager, a general partner on several deals, limited partner as well, uh, you have got sort of a first row view, uh, as do I, on what's going on, especially in Dallas, Texas. So tell me, let's start with this. What's, I mean, I know you don't have necessarily a national perspective. Let's focus on Dallas and, you know, whatever national numbers you may know about. What today has been the net uh, result of this entire COVID assault on multifamily? Well, it's a great question, Buck. And I, you know, even though most of my investments are in Texas and uh, some uh, other states, but I do keep up with the national trends and what's happening all around. And I got to be honest, back in March when all this was starting, and I remember I was having discussions and I'm asking you about your your medical perspective. And I have family that's in, uh, you know, in really highly affected areas in the medical field that were feeding this information and constant reading of the news, I did lose a few nights of sleep right. uh, back in March thinking, okay, this is, no one is going to pay rent. This is going to be really bad. And I have about 80% of my net worth is in multifamily, is me, in real estate. Me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I uh, have people investing with me, I want them always to know, we want them always to know that we are fully committed. So I, I did lose a few nights of sleep and woke up in the middle of the night. Okay, I guess uh, we're going to start from scratch here. With yeah, because I remember, the bank. I remember Dante, that uh, before this whole started, you had a big head of hair. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that just went away <laughs> over the one week in March. <laughs> Definitely was not over the years that that happened. <laughs> um, yeah, but then it was very surprising. And this kind of happened. So for Texas, the lockdown came uh, second week of March. And we had already collected, you know, a big portion of the rents. And people continue paying. But April was the big deal, right? Oh, no one is going to pay in April. Well, April came. Um, everybody paid, right? And then May became the big deal. And uh, it happened again, and now we're in June. So uh, I've, you know, and I've turned down, turned off the news completely, and I'm focusing on the data and on the day-to-day and what's actually happening with operations. And I've, from the start, after those maybe first or second week of a little bit of of news-influenced panic, kind of did not follow the strategy that a lot of uh, operators are following as far as the value add component and rehabs and how to manage the properties. And I, you know, my goal has been, I'm going to close monitor the numbers and I'm going to make adjustments at the numbers as the data is telling me to operate, right? Not on future data. And I feel like, you know, copying here your past career back, but a little bit as a physician, physician doesn't think what's going to happen in the future, most of the time he's reading the data that the patient is providing at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. They're running labs every That's single right. day. They are, you know, adjusting the medication, adjusting the respirator uh, on a, you know, two hourly basis based yep. on the data that they're getting back from the patient. Right. So that's the approach that I've been taking with our properties well, and it has been extremely successful. Let, let's back up though. Like in terms of, I mean, t- what do you know about say rent collections at the national level, what's yeah, going so, on and, you know, compared and to, and I have, I gather some numbers. Uh, so let's look at 2019. So we're looking at the national multifamily housing council data. This is about 11 and a half million apartment units reporting 
uh, all over the U.S. And we, April 2019, we had 97.7 collections, meaning out of the 100 percent uh, possible that could be collected, 97.7 was collected. So really, really high number. This is overall all classes, A, B, Cs, all over the country, right? May of 2019, 96.6. Now, if you compare this data now to 2020, a year later, we're looking at April, we had 94.6. So you're looking at a three points drop on the collections between April last year to this year. And then if you look at May, 95.1 comparing to 96.6. So now in May, we're looking at one and a half exactly drop in the collections. Now, this is across all the spaces, all the different uh, uh, multifamily uh, markets, areas. All the markets, right? And all then the we're also market, talking right? about A, B, C, and D. A, B, C is pre-lease, you know, a lease up. This is 11.5 million apartment units all over the U.S. reporting. So 95.1% collect, collected for the month of May. This is a very, very strong number. Yeah. And if you compare this to other industries where, where their collections went, we are, you know, at the forefront, I think maybe behind Amazon and Walmart, a multifamily is probably the next one in yeah. line that is, you know, just doing really well. One of the things that, you know, Ken and I talked about on the last show was, you know, right now, uh, you know, we, we chose Texas and Arizona and some of these other red states, you know, because they're landlord friendly and because the politics make it easier to run a business and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I, I look at those numbers right now and, you know, uh, even a, the 3% drop off from April 19 to 20 or then a 1.5 to May in 19 to 20. And I'm thinking, gosh, I bet a lot of that's happening in like California and New York where exactly. it's, you know, these guys are getting hammered. I mean, I have investors, um, you know, we have investors, you and me, uh, but, uh, you know, certainly other uh, uh, people in our group that are based in California that are particularly wondering what's going on because the climate out here is very much, well, you hear about rent strikes and all that kind of thing. Um, for perspective, you know, uh, what, so what do you know about, you know, Texas? What do you know about what's going on in Texas in particular with collection? Yeah, and if you, if you narrow down to Texas, you know, and this gets to, you know, in a little bit, we'll, we'll get a little more granular here with the submarket aspect of it. But sure. if you just look at Texas overall, those numbers are about a point and a half to two points higher than the national level. And I got a really good source. So we use a third-party management company, Wayne and Multifamily. They have about 25,000 units that they manage themselves between Texas and a little bit in Oklahoma. So, and I asked for their numbers and they are mainly on the B and C space. And I talked to the CEO this morning, uh, just kind of like, Hey, give me the updated data where we are. So they've always been operating between 96 and 97% collections. This is uh, very normal on the C space. You always have, you know, you always have skips and evictions, you know, we were dealing with the demographics that not everybody always pays. So it's to be a 97%, it's, it's, you know, it's a win. And now they are April, they had collections of 93 and a half percent. And for May, they were 92.3. And now June, they're collecting about the same as they did for May. So they, sh they should be about 93%. And, and where, where does that, where does that go for, uh, I mean, what's their, what, what was last year then? Last year, they were about 96 and 97% Where comparing they, those numbers. Yeah, okay. So they're, they're about 4 or 5% down. Uh, so that, that's actually pretty you know, significant and in line, uh, not, not too different from national numbers. That actually surprised me. Although Wiener, uh, they, do have, uh, they do have a lot of property in uh, Oklahoma as well, which <laughs> I remember you and I talking and I said, we are not going into Oklahoma. And uh uh, we, we, uh, that was the right call you made about, right about call. five years ago. Yeah, so. that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah, those, yeah go ahead. Yeah, you know, so those numbers, and then looking now, if you break down Wayne's portfolio here of 25,000 units, they're looking with a lot of uh, properties that were 60, 70% occupancy, right? And they're looking at properties that were 100% occupied like ours. 
So they are specifically on the C value add space, turning a lot of C's into B's or just improving the C's. Um, and those are very, very strong numbers, uh, you know, as far as collections go across the board. Now, if you, you know, and I think the success of, I mean, we have a lot of properties doing really well, and we have some properties that are hurting, uh, fortunately not in our portfolio. And I think it all has to do with asset location, allocation and operation. And operations, right? no we, doubt about it. In the city of Dallas, you know, in the Metroplex, there are areas that are going to always outperform. And there are areas there, are, you know, maybe the operator can look at, oh, the risk reward here is excellent. Uh, and, you know, if something happens on the town during like we're experiencing right now, those properties are suffering. So I do know of properties that are uh, filing for forbearance from the, from the, for the landers, you know, which is not, you know, it's, uh, we can get into that, but it's really a poison pill to get into forbearance right now. You gotta, you know, try to stay away from that as much as you can. And at the same time, uh, we have assets, they are, you know, that they're struggling, but they were already not doing really well before this happened. This is just exacerbating the problem. Well, I think that's, that's the key, right? Because, um, there is a difference between operators. There is a difference between, you know, how you run a property, just like any business, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could, you can have two, uh, you know, we, as you know, we have, you know, a few different groups that we have, well, at least one, we have one other group that I do multifamily with and, and we, you and me, when we're doing stuff uh, as a partnership, we actually look at the same type of property as, um, as I do when I'm with them, but we do very different things with them. Uh, both, both groups are doing extremely well, but the business models are completely different. Now, on the other hand, you can have a model that, you know, is the same or whatever with us, but they're not executing. And therefore, uh, it's not just about the asset. It's about the people and the execution. And that's what we're uh, starting to see. We're trying, you know, I guess the, the old saying about, um, you know, uh, the, the, the water uh, kind of going out and seeing who's swimming naked. And then that's kind of what we're seeing right now. If people were struggling and not cash flowing, uh, be, or you know at least being cash flow positive at the asset level uh, beforehand, then they are going to get especially hurt now. But tell me a little bit about though specifically, because people are asking all the time: Are you seeing distressed properties? Is there distress out there that you're seeing? What are you seeing right now? Is it uh, is it starting to unfold? Uh, are you just seeing like there's just too many? Uh, know, too much protection for that to happen for these people, et cetera, right now. So in that back in March, when this was always starting, that was one of the, uh, you know, the, the, the theme talked about within the groups and a lot of other operators and owners, oh, we're going to have distress assets. We're going to be able to pick this up, you know, at 50 cents on the dollar. Anyone that's sitting on cash is going to be great. And I felt really good. Both me and you were sitting in good cash positions yep. and ready to take advantage of the opportunities. Uh, they are nowhere to be found, really. I mean, I can count two properties out of all, everything that I track in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They are actually uh, struggling and they're looking for, for offers and still the offers doesn't make sense. There's nothing, nothing of a huge discount. We're looking at, you know, a 10% discount, even though the property is not cash flowing. So, uh, no, they, the opportunities are not here. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to not predict what's happening in the future because it's very uncertain times, but uh, deep inside, I do not feel they're going to come. Yeah. And there are different reasons for that. There is a lot of uh, cash and equity looking to be multifamily. And even that this is happening in some other asset classes are not performing as well. People are all, even people that were not awakened to multifamily before, now they're looking, wow, I got to move into that asset. So that's causing, uh, you know, Couple of the deals that were listed uh, during this period of time, uh, only two deals I can say was officially listed in the DFW market, and I worked closely with the listing brokers on those assets, and they had more offers than they expected. The ratio of op offers to property tours were huge, and they got the asking prices on both assets. So I want to try to I, I want to try to peel this apart because there's a there's a reason for this, and this is really important. I mean, in order to do that. Start by, um, so, you know, you and I, obviously we have Turo, we have this, um, you know, we've had two fairly large uh, transactions in the last six, 
you know, six to eight months or whatever. Now um, I keep saying six months, but that was in March. It's <laughs> like a year ago almost. It's so a now, year ago now, month. right? So we had two within six months and then we just kind of, and then we kind of, you know, we ran into some of these things. So we, we have not, not bought anything, but talk about, um, you know, and you and I both, uh, aside from our partnership have a lot of units, but let's, let's focus on uh, these two, um, Talk about the performance since March specifically in this, because I want to break this down and, and help people understand, you know, how this impacts the market uh, as a whole. Yeah. So I'll start with Sedona Ranch. So that's the 253 units, 1972 construction that we acquired uh, July 31st of 2019. Right. So the, the property was very stable and uh pretty much 97% occupied when we took over. We did have a big value add plan of upgrading uh, about 200 of the units Mm -hmm. and increasing performer uh, rents. So that has been successful from day one. The property has been cash flowing. We paid distributions to investors on time and uh, ahead of what was expected uh, percentage wise. And we had record collections. I mean, the top number we've, we've had in both Oh, on all three, March, April, and May. Yeah. And if I look at the May collection, comparing to February, it was actually a whole 2% higher. So every month, even during the lockdown and COVID, we are increasing the income. Uh, we've heavy move-ins, we've been turning the units, we've been upgrading the units. And that's one of the aspects that I mentioned to you that a lot of operators right off the bat said, no more upgrades, no more, you know, I'm gonna stop putting money into the property. We, our business plan, we already had the money separated for that, right? So we had that money reserved to make the investments. This is not coming out of cash flow, not of the investor's expense. So I decided to continue doing that and monitor what kind of rents are we getting? Are we hitting performance? And in a few units, we actually bumped the rents a little bit because there was such a high demand and we ended up getting those rents. So record collections for March, April, and May at Sedona. And right now, as of this morning, I checked and we are at 98% collected. Right. Comparing to the June, to comparing to the main number. And I spoke with my manager and we still have about another 7,000 that we're going to collect. So we are going to wrap with another record month here uh, by, by next week for the month of June. And then the other one was, you know, uh, we were not as far along in, in turning around, but it's also performing extremely well. Right. Sierra del Sol, yes, 259 units in Irving, Texas, performing really well. And I would say that one was the one initially when all the bad news was around. You know, we acquired in January. So February, uh, you know, we're really pushing to have uh, implement our business plan and we're pushing for higher vacancies. So we were caught with about 18 vacant units when the lockdown happened. Uh, you know, and maybe that, that's the one that caused me to lose a little bit of sleep, uh, over those nights because we had 18 vacant units. It's like, great. No one is going to tour. No one is going to show up. You know, these are going to be empty for a while, but just kept monitoring the data. And instead of just stopping the rehab plan, what we did, we brought an extra person to work on the rehab. So instead of pulling back, it's like, no, actually we're going to put in a little bit more money here, Bought an extra person. We usually operate with three people outside. We have four people up to this day to make sure all those units were turned in time. And what happened is traffic still came in. People still tour. We had, you know, a brand new website and we had pictures and people looked and we leased, which you know, it's a number that really surprised me. The month of April, we leased 13 units all of them at performer rents, not right. a single concession, not a single discount. And since March, we've been able to lease 25 units at that property, all of them at performer. Uh, and I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago, one of the units, part of our plan was to turn some of the very large two bedrooms into three bedrooms, uh, just because there is a high demand on that market. We decided to bump the rents on that three bedroom because they were flying off the shelf. I can say that. Uh, and we were uh, decided to increase another hundred dollars. I just told my manager, let's just try to see what happens. By the next day in the afternoon, she called me and said, Hey, Dante, we already leased that unit, you know, full deposit yeah. qualified tenants. Yeah. So th- the bottom line is I think there's, so there's what I was getting at here is okay. 
well, I'm sure Dante and I like to brag, we're, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but there's no question about that. But there's there's something I want. There's a take. There's a couple takeaways here. On top of that, we you know we have, and I know Weiner has. You know, we have benefited a little bit, and additionally with some you know PPP money, et cetera, things like that to help. Um, that that have actually you know potentially even helped drive up our net operating income. That's happened with a lot of businesses, much less real estate. So. What the net end result of this, as I'm seeing it, and you know, from Dante and my perspective, is that the strong operators are getting stronger because the need for housing is there. People, people in at least in in markets where you know there's not rent strikes and that kind of thing, they need to pay for food. They need to pay their rent, and they understand that. They need a place to live, and that demand has not changed. Um, so, so the demand has not changed, and we have therefore continued with our value-add plan. It's working. And here's the thing. Now, if you're a bad operator in this space, uh, or you're not doing very well, you're not performing, because good, the, the good operators are performing and their assets are really shining and showing a significant hedge against what's happening, you know, in the economy, um, as a whole, all of the sudden people are looking at these properties that are not performing well and saying, well, gosh, I mean, maybe we can, you know, these things are worth a lot more. I mean, look at how everybody else is performing here. So in effect, the poor operators are not having to sell their properties at distress because the asset class and specifically the sub-asset class is showing such durability during this time that people are just interested in it. And so that's one of the big reasons that is not, that the people who, the people who have not been actually performing well and who've got these properties that they've just not done a good job with, are at, might actually come out ahead here because now they have a reason to point to with their investors, and then they actually have buyers who are saying, well, gosh, look at this is like such a terrible time. We can still come in here and make money. We just have to you know, buy this from the, you know, software engineer who was uh who thought he was going to do this uh with his full-time job and and you know brought along a hundred of his friends for the ride you know but uh, your comments on that oh a hundred percent that's a very valid point uh people are looking at the performance of their own properties and i'm doing that myself like looking at the performance of my own properties and that's with those lenses with those set of eyes i'm looking at possible opportunities which there are not a whole lot of them right now. But yeah, operators that were not, you know, and I, I can give you examples and stories of, you know, operators uh, doing asset management from overseas without visiting the property for over a year. You know, those are the kind of assets they are struggling right now. Uh, but uh, the pe- people are looking and looking at the performance. So they're actually ignoring how the property is performing at the moment and they're still coming out and bidding. So the expectation that there will be a lot of discounted properties uh, you know, it's not happening. Uh, and that's m- most likely one of the big reasons just because if everybody else is performing and that one is not, oh, I can fix that. Right. And yeah. usually, especially if you're already, you know, in this space and you have an operation and a team in place that you, 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 you believe that you can uh, deliver those. So the, 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 the moral of the story here, and let me simplify this because this is an important point. This doesn't this doesn't actually go against the idea that there would potentially be defaults in poor performing properties and distressed properties. But because there's sort of this, you know, binary landscape where you have some who are doing extremely well and then just a handful that are doing badly, the ones that are doing badly are actually not going to probably end up having to pay at a uh, sell at a discount. They'll end up selling probably as much, if not more, than they did before. Correct. hundred percent. And, you know, in the properties that are performing well, and you touched it on the PPP and I haven't even uh, broken the, that news to our investors yet because it just came through here. <laughs> well, you could um, save, you could save on, that for the newsletter, right? Yeah. They're going to hear on the, on the podcast first, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we were not counting on PPP. 
Uh, and it actually, it came through. And, you know, and we're taking it. Well, you know, the rules keep changing on uh, how much it's going to be forgiven. I think most of it will be forgiven. And we're keeping that on the balance sheet as of that. But this is just an added bonus, really, because the properties were performing well, uh, even without it. Uh, but that money is just going to be an extra bonus and an extra cushion, you know, to uh, different things that we could do at the property. Um, and, you know, and I, I think. And it keeps it, us it, safe, you know, because at right. the end of the day, here's the thing is that, you know, Dante and I talked about distributions, et cetera, things like that. But I still am not comfortable doing that because even though these properties are making money, it's better just to keep it in the account. You know, wait for this stupid vaccine to get here, for this problem to become a thing of the past, rather than go and and, and put yourself in a position where you're not capitalized. Yeah. And, you know, and I've, I've got this question a lot when people ask, okay, why, why, you know, especially if they're not in this space, why are people still paying rent, right? And the, the media was trying to push, oh, the rent strikes going to be across the country. And that does exist in some more of the eastern and western, you know, areas of the country. Uh, but it also may be a different demographics, right? A different uh, asset class. If you're looking at the A class, you know, and people that have been unemployed. But uh, a few of the reasons that, these properties have been performing so well, not only, you know, just the market overall is so strong, the tenants are working. Uh, people are doing a lot of overtime. We have a lot of tenants that are working warehouse jobs and cleaning, landscaping, construction, healthcare, and they are working. And I, I've talked to, you know, the manager and always trying to keep a post what's happening at the ground level of the property. And they're actually doing overtime and working seven days a week at Amazon and Walmart warehouses and they all hiring. And there is also a lot of job mobility, you well, know. that's right. And, and you know, the other thing about, when you're in sort of the working class that we're in, um, you know, a lot of these people are, you know, do a lot of cash work too. And, um, you know, so maybe they're getting unemployment now. And then on top of that, they're getting cash and Hey, listen, it's, it is what it is. Right. But they're, they're, they're working, they're making money and culturally, you know, from the standpoint of where they live in the submarket, et cetera, it isn't crossed their mind that they shouldn't actually pay to live. Correct. And we, and we also made that message uh, very clear at the beginning at a, in a nice and gentle way. Right. And I, I, I know some operators that send a, email, <laughs> a letter at the beginning, uh, <laughs> send a letter at the beginning yeah. and Buck is laughing because we know someone in common that sent a letter in the beginning saying you must pay rent. Right. There will be evictions <laughs> and end and up on the news. Letter, right. You know, the, the tenant called the TV news and they ended up on TV. Uh, definitely not the kind of publicity we want. Right. We did deliver the same message, but with a different situation say, Hey, if you've been affected, come talk to us. We'll work with you. And we have voided all late fees. We have not charged any late fees over the past three months. We understand it is challenging situation for many, and we want to work with you. Uh, we also put together a whole list of resources, a lot of nonprofits and different uh, entities that would be helping tenants, uh, you know, in the city of Dallas passed the legislation. Day one, we register for it and we share with all the tenants saying, hey, if you need help, here are all the resources. We'll help you fill out the paperwork if you need. You know, our managers in the office to help you do that. And we'll work with you. Come and talk to us. No one's gonna be out on the street. We're gonna avoid all eight fees. And we also offer incentives for people that were paying on time, uh, just kind of an added bonus, right? Since we were giving something for those that were struggling with it. So I think that was a big part of it. And at the same time, uh, people are being able, even the ones that were laid off, you know, we had some tenants at the hospitality industry, like hotels, they were able to land something else really quick. Uh, there is a lot of job mobility at the working class, way more than there is you know, in the middle upper classes uh, where, you know, if you lose your job, it's going to be a six months process of finding something else. So. Let me ask you this. Do you, I'm, I know, you know, some people, I don't know if you know pe many people in the A space over there or not, but are there, are there stories any different? Uh, no, not very different. I do have some colleagues in the A space and, and some developers uh, that I, you know, get together and, and brainstorm uh, and people are paying. Um, you know, people are paying rents. They, they, they're, you know, I, what they're maybe noticing is just the traffic and the velocity of the lease up. 
You know, and I talked to someone that was halfway through a new build here in Uptown Dallas on the lease side, the velocity decreased a lot. So sure. people are a little bit more cautious, you know, cautious is like, instead of going to this, you know, $2,500 a month rent here at the penthouse, probably I'm going to do the 1800 nice B class. So def- pe- people that are in the units, they're still paying rent. The collections are really strong st- also. But the velocity on the lease up, that's what has been, you know, just the traffic and getting those units filled uh, yeah, well, has, and, uh, has and been a difference. Ken, Ken was talking about that, Ken McElroy. But that's, again, you know, one of the differences is we actually have not seen a decrease in velocity. You know, yeah. and it, again, I think it has very much to do with, you know, the the idea that, you know, all real estate is fundamentally um you know, it, 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 it's not all the same, right? Of course, we Correct. know that office and commercial, you know, office and retail are not the same as residential, but we also need to understand that there's a significant difference in demographics. There's a significant difference between, you know, A class and B class and C class. And we also need to understand that from one market to another, the laws, the li- cost of living, the living index, all of these things come into play significantly. And, um, you know, we, we've we certainly planned for some of these based on, um, you know, larger economic things, but sometimes it's uh, better to be uh, lucky than smart. Yeah. <laughs> right. 100%. So. And, the, uh, uh, and, and, and one of the, the big items is also looking how the, the demographic that your clients are, your tenants are, how do they make decisions, right? Understanding at a very ground level, how are they making the decisions, where their money coming from, and how are they applying those sources? Believe it or not, right after that 600 uh, government bailout came out, uh, there were a lot of uh, large screen TV boxes in the dumpsters in the property. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like, so th- that kind of the, dis- the decision making and, and, you know, and uh, feeding off that, learning from that and adjusting operations and adjusting your marketing uh, to fit, you know, your, your clientele plays a bigger part. What if any, so, okay, so we've talked about, and, and, and the point of this discussion was to look at a, a point in time, right? Because we have, I have, you know, in the discussion with Ken last week, et cetera, we've been constantly talking about, all right, you know, there's this thing that happened and now there's going to be this, you know, this tsunami uh, of, of trouble. The, the thing that like it's that seems to me is particularly if there's not a huge second wave, if there ends up being a vaccine by Christmas, which I think is seriously possible, we may not have it, it may not be as severe as everyone thinks it is. And that in itself is sort of a a danger, right? Danger of being overly cautious or whatever. But what um what do you see happening? What, I mean, right now, things are looking really good, right? Mm-hmm. But that doesn't yeah. mean they're going to be, you know, it doesn't mean we think that there's nothing that can change. What What do you worry about? Uh, really, just on the, uh, the worries more just on the acquisition side with the, the, the debts, right? Because all of our acquisitions is based on a lot of amount from debts from the agencies, and they became really conservative right off the bat. Uh, so my brokerage business it came to a halt, you know, in, in, in March, and it's taken a while. And I've and that's not just me, but everybody that's in the business, you know, volume transaction is really low. Uh, as far as the properties itself, uh, in in operations and people paying rent, even if we have a ripple effect here down the road. We have already looking at data, and like I said, I like to monitor the data, what's coming out of the data, you know, day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis, and really comparing to last year, which was a great time in the economy, uh, 
what's house house sales. So looking now coming down to to our market here to Texas, and you know, and what I'm talking about in Texas applies to Arizona, to Florida, to Georgia, uh, to several of these states where we have a lot of migration from businesses leaving New York, leaving California, heading to those states. And people are questioning now. Now that working from home became a reality for a lot of businesses. People are questioning, why do I need to stay living in New York if I can come down to Texas or Arizona or Florida, you know, and, and have a cost of living that's going to be a third of what I'm spending now with the same salary. So that's a trend. Not only corporations are moving our way, but also people themselves, even if their company is not moving, they're having the flexibility and the mobility to just work from anywhere. I think that's going to be part of a new reality. Um, so on the, on the multifamily space, I do not have a lot of worries about that because anything, people are actually going to be spending more time at home. And also house sales have been uh, dropping, right? So a lot of the bridge loans, a lot of the riskier loans with yep. lower down payments, those went away. So a lot of the beginner home buyers that could be buying houses with a little riskier loans, those loans went away. So uh, what do they do? If you cannot buy a house, well, you're going to stay renting your apartment, right? If you have any kind of uncertainty and you don't feel good about owning the house for the next three to five years, what are you going to do? You're going to continue rent. You may stay on your same apartment. You may move to an apartment a little better, but we have Texas existing home sales dropped about 32% year over year. And this is on top of a 22% slide that we had for the month of April. So this is overall Texas, you know, and it's a very different story between Houston and Dallas, uh, in El Paso and Dallas, completely different markets. Uh, but overall, you know, we had a big decline on single family sales, which does the only thing that again happens with that is increased demand for apartment complexes, which experiencing right now. And I forgot to mention, Sedona is 100% occupied, has been like that for the past 45 days. That was our two first other, acquisition for people yeah, trying to wonder what. Two of my other properties are 100% occupied. I have a lender inspection on Thursday, and I don't have any single units to show the lender. Uh, and, you know, it's a reality of people that were ready to buy a house. Now that loan went away they're renting longer. So I don't see that changing. Uh, and also it's really going back and stress that since the property, let's say that we do have high unemployment and we do have the repo effect that you've talked about it and things are being affected. Okay. What if we have another 5% decrease or another 10% decrease? This is one of the industries that's performing the best. We're still going to fare out much better than having the money in other, other vehicles. And it's going to be temporary. Yeah. And, and to that extent, uh, point too, as long as, you know, we are in a cash flow positive position continuing to do very well. I mean, it's, it, we sort of just don't really care what the value of the property necessarily is going to be. Um, uh, actually, as, as you mentioned, uh, we right now would, <laughs> we'd probably, probably end up, um, you know, with a price if we were sellers, that was not too different from what we would ordinarily uh, get. Right. But um, but even if it did go down, you know, being in a strong position where you don't have to sell is is really key in general too. You know, because I was thinking about you know one of the things that may be going on out on there, and I haven't heard anything about it. But you know, there are these um, larger institutional uh, investors that are mandated to sell at a certain time, et cetera. And, you know, it, it, it did cross my mind that if it was more challenging to get the debt, that that might somehow, you know, reduce the, uh, the sell, the sale price on those properties, but it doesn't seem like that's happened either. So. No, not yeah. at all. And, uh, I think the only, the only people that would be caught right now is if you had a loan, if you had a bridge loan, uh, that it was expiring. So all right. the bridge lenders pretty much went away. No one is doing business. And many times when you do a bridge loan, you do two years plus two renews, or you do three years plus two years renews one year at a time. If the time to renew, they may go, they may go away and they force you to sell the property. But going back to your point, they may still get their price just yep. because of how much equity and demand still there is and the properties, you know, are performing well. And all of this is not to say that the tsunami is definitely not coming. It, it, it may be the case that there, again, there is 
certain markets, certain asset classes, certain sub-asset classes and demographic areas that are going to get hit hard and then others may not. We're already seeing that phenomena in the economy already, whereas, you know, e-commerce is doing extremely well, whereas other businesses, service businesses, vacation, stuff like that uh, really got hurt. I mean, if you were, you know, uh, Dante, you were at one point looking at some cruise uh, stocks and oil stocks, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but, you know, there's going to be some of that, but there are other areas that are actually getting boosted by the fundamental changes uh, that are occurring in society because of because of what's going on. So who knows what's going to happen? Uh, this is certainly not a uh, you know I know Dante's and uh, very very positive here, but it's just another perspective. As we talked about before, the key is to learn from you know people who know what they're doing. You heard from Ken last week. You're hearing from Dante this week. Uh, slightly different perspective. Uh, no one is right or wrong uh, until we look at it in 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 the perspective of of history, right? So, um, Dante, want to again thank you for coming back on Wealth Formula Podcast. Uh, obviously, folks, if you're interested in in uh, learning more about uh, Dante and what uh, he does, uh, well, you should probably just join the Investor Club because that's where Dante and I do do our magic together, right? So, yes. All right, uh, Dante, thanks again. Uh, great talking to you. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, keep working together. And I, you know, I, I feel like summer is going to be still a little slow, a lot of uncertainty, but I'm excited about the third and the fourth quarter. I think things are going to, you know, uh, are looking bright. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll add to that. I'm excited for the next, you know, seven, eight years after that, because we have been waiting and waiting and waiting for the economy to slow down. Well, it's slowed down and I feel like we're finally got some runway and it's exciting to think about, you know, getting back into it and not feeling like, you know, the, the grim reaper of the real estate cycles behind us. (laughs) We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it again. You know, Dante's perspective is a little different from what you heard last week. It's important, though, to integrate all these things and try to come up with some of your own ideas. Uh, I will continue to try very hard to provide different perspectives and views on what's going on. Uh, But what I will tell you so far is that fundamentally, I still think that there is some damage ahead coming, but... I don't know if it's going to affect every asset class and sub-asset class the same. That's where I'm really, really keeping an open mind. And I don't want to become, you know, somebody who's so inflexible and dogmatic about what I think is going to happen that I, you know, miss out on opportunities and that kind of thing. So I would just say, again, the most important thing is to keep an open mind and listen to as many smart people as you can. Also, you know, if you have communities, uh, you know, others talk to others, you know, and who are listening to the same kind of stuff and see see what they think. Uh, one of the ways you can do that, by the way, if your neighbors and your family is not into this stuff, is by joining Wealth Formula Network. Wealth Formula Network starts out with a course, guys like Ken McElroy on there, and then uh, it also is a community, uh, which, uh, which includes, uh, you know, a Facebook group where we keep in touch all the time and also bi-weekly Zoom phone calls where we can really come to the table and and uh, you know do our mastermind thing. If that's of interest to you, check that out at wealthformularoadmap.com. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not facts. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.